<sighs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what do you want to be now that you are grown up? What we do in life is sometimes chosen and pursued and sometimes we're simply drawn to it by the fates and fortunes, be they good or bad. What we do in life is is based on decisions made by others forcing us to face steps we either reluctantly take or walk into with authority knowing no matter what the outcome we will still have our sense of self whatever that might be worth on the open market of life take me for example over the years i'm not so sure if i've chosen my vocations in life so much as they have chosen me now i've managed to hang on to them with some luck and a modicum of talent Okay, a lot of luck. But I like to think that even Albert Einstein just had to get lucky once in a while, right? I'm Dina Tripodis, and welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. And the guest bottle tonight is a bold one. The Glen Levitt 18 Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. I chose a good scotch for a good guest to talk about tonight's segment, which I'm calling Never Too Old, Never Too Late. A chat about life and those choices, changes, and yeah, at times, still the childlike wonder that manifests itself in the form of surprise. My guest is attorney Bert Benedetto. sidebar, for those of you who listen to the podcast on a regular basis, I've had quite a few attorneys on the program. But for different, re- but for different reasons. <laughs> Selfishly, I like to maintain a strong bench of go-to attorneys for whatever <laughs> situation may arise in my life. But for the show, they've all contributed something different. Recently, liquor attorney Alex Hasty educated us on prohibition, which started right here in Ohio. Attorney John Saya was with me early on and dispelled the myth and mythologies of the DUI. These are all podcasts you can go back and listen to if you'd like to. So what is Bert Benedetto bringing to the table himself? And a very varied past. <laughs> and a very varied past. I bring you to the table because, like I said, never too old, never too late. You are a practicing attorney. But what I love about the fact that you are an attorney is that you are not part of some large conglomerate. You are not a part of some... Uh, um, boutique firm, you just have the shingle on the wall. You are your own man, your own lawyer. And what I find even more interesting is that this was a pursuit that you didn't start until you were 38 years of age. That's right. 38 years old. You decided to go to law school at 38. Was it a calling or did you just want to be on the other side of things for a change? That's the best description I can think of. Um, I did a lot of stupid stuff in my younger years, some good, some bad. And then one day I just had to sit down with myself and decided um, I needed to do something better. I had a beautiful education, decided I never set out to do what I was doing, and I changed my mind and went to law school. All right, where did you go to school at? I went to Ohio State. Ohio State University. It's the only place I applied to because I, I just wanted to party. Well, I went to Ohio State University as well, and you have a a few years on me, but that was back when it was, you know, pretty much they had to take you. 
if you were if yes. you were a resident of the state. Yeah, and I got it with like yeah, a very low Q. A low Q. <laughs> so you were not a a good student. Point was, I was more interested in dating and making money. So did you go right to Ohio State out of out of, out of high school? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you went right to Ohio State University. Did you all four years? I kind of stretched it to five because I didn't really want to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so you do five years at Ohio State University, and now you're out of college, and it's time to go into what all of us had to do, the real world. So what was your first job out of college? Well, I, uh, some of my friends were traveling around the country on something called the Freedom Train. It was back at the Celebrate the Bicentennial. Okay. So I left and flew out to Seattle and joined them. And Seattle, yeah, the birthplace joined. of the bicentennial. No, well, that, that's where they were. That's where they were at the time. The train, uh, if you remember, that carried a lot of artifacts from uh, history. And so anyway, I, I joined them in Seattle, and I traveled for about six months. And then I was settled in Seattle, uh, sorry, San Diego. But I said that maybe this isn't the place to get a job, so I went back to, to Ohio. So that was in the late 70s, right? 75, 76. 76. So you're out of college. It's 1975. Well, the country wasn't in great shape at, the, at that particular time, as I recall. I was just uh, in I, high school. I don't remember. I was a little too high. Were you high? Were you, so was that, uh, was that part of the uh, lack of motivation? Not really, but, but that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you get? You, finally, you had to get a job. What, what did you do? I came back. To Ohio, I got a job in outside of Cleveland uh, selling campgrounds. What? Campgrounds. People wanted to put a, a RV on a place that they could call home, go for weekends. And I did that for about six months. Were you successful? Did pretty well. Yeah. That's when I start, started thinking maybe I can sell. But that was home with my parents. And I grew up, as far as I'm concerned, I grew up as an adult in Columbus. So I couldn't wait to get out out of my parents' house and came back to Columbus a year or two later. Now, uh, De Benedetto, obviously Italian, so you moved back home with your Italian parents. Your mother, happy to have you back to home? Yeah, but... And your but father? My Well, he was pushing me to get to work, of course, but my parents are great, and they remain to be great. They, we almost never had any issues our entire life. But yes, they. my dad was... Didn't like me sitting around the house, so he wanted me to go to work. Are you an only child? No, I'm the oldest of four. Oldest of four. So uh, the other ones, what were they doing? Were they? Well, they were all younger than me. I think they were mostly still in school. Yeah. Um, or just getting out of school, and they were. My parents weren't as worried about them as they were me because I was a couple years out of college. In Did fact, you feel the pressure as being the oldest that you had to set an example for your siblings? No. <laughs> no, no, but I'm the only one that went to four years of school and graduated. So we all had our different um, tact. Did your siblings at any point in life start to surpass you as far as what they were doing? You know, as well, far as a vocation, were they, you know, being successful? Were they the pride of the family while you, the oldest, were still struggling <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell you were going to do with yourself? A little of both. Yeah. My sister moved on, got married. Um, you know, nice guy, still married together and kids. Only, the only one of our four, of four siblings has grandkids. But my brother was uh, moved on. He was working and doing doing fine as far as my parents were concerned. Uh, I think they had higher hopes for me only because I was the one to finish school. Because mm -hmm. you had a degree in? Uh, international business. International business. 
all that meant was the same as a business degree, but I wanted to take Italian. When I was, <laughs> so I took four quarters of Italian, and I that was one of the prerequisites to be in international business, have a language. And can you still speak it? Not a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't stick? No. It didn't stick. So you sell campgrounds, you do that for six months, that doesn't work out, or maybe it does work out, but you just tire of it? No, it was seasonal because in the winter there was nothing going on. Uh, but it gave me a taste of sales, and I started thinking, okay, I could do this. So what'd you sell next? Well, I got out, I wanted to get out of Cleveland and move back to Columbus, which I enjoyed so much in my college career. It was it was a fun place, and plus there's. I don't know how to say it, but there's 10,000 new freshmen coming in every year, <laughs> and, and half of them are women. So. De- okay, so so female companionship seems to have been a motivating factor in your life from high school on. The pursuit uh, of. Pursuit of. Was the good. pursuit of female companionship. Uh, are you, but you're not a married man. That's a regret, but yes. A regret uh, or yeah, a choice? No, a regret. I mean, it was, it was probably my choice until my early 30s because I was kid in a candy store and um there were women everywhere and i liked them and i, I actually fell in love a few times but felt i was too immature to move on and then finally in my 30s i met somebody that i really wanted to marry and she was too immature she was too immature yes yeah, she she was uh it's not it's it's not even a worth a big story worth going into but she, one of those people that i'll, I'll be the judge of that <laughs> well she wanted to wanted to um it was one of those people that wanted something she couldn't have, and when she thought she had it, then she really didn't want it anymore. Okay. And she liked the chase. Yes. I'm, that's pretty, pretty. In in respects to just everything in life. And I was one of those that I think she moved on because she had me. And you fell in love with her. Yeah, and was hurt by it, of course. But Who but, broke it off? Um, she did. She moved away. So if she would have stuck around, you said she was too immature. You knew this about her. But despite that fact, if she would have said, yes, I'll marry you, you would have married her? Yeah, and we'd be divorced, of course. <laughs> Did you um, lose contact with her? Actually, she called me. She called you when? A year ago. Really? And and we started talking, and she invited me out to Colorado where she lived, and I said, okay. And then the day before I was going to fly out, she Changed her mind, which is oh perfect. my god, she the, the, exactly the, like I said. Yeah. Once you think you you know you want something, once you think you have it, the coat didn't change any colors. Nothing. No, nothing. tiger doesn't change its stripes. Not a bit. Wow, wow. So all that, just all the, all the, for lack of a better word, all the uh, foreplay, and then when it comes right down to it, no, don't. Yeah. There was a lot. I won't. Get I just into wanted the, to know if you would come all the way I, out to well, Colorado. Yeah, it, it started. Oh, like, did that hurt? Of course, but not as bad as the first time. I kind of was um, steeled to it or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but be honest. I mean, you talk about the first true love of your life, and all of a sudden, years later, you have a chance to rekindle the only, in your mind, true romance, the true love that you ever had. You're telling me it didn't hurt a little bit? It didn't? It wasn't? Oh, no. a- yeah, it hurt, but not not so- something that it. When I, we first split up, it bothered me for a couple of years. Some of my friends said I never had the same cocky attitude or really? whatever after breaking up from her. But this time, no, not it just, not the same you know, cocky I, I, attitude. Did you treat women differently after that? I think so. I think I was um, more humble, for lack of a better word. Maybe, maybe even a little more insecure. Interesting. Interesting. Anyway. But just to finish that, um, I didn't 
I talk, told a few of my friends I was very disappointed. I bought a plane ticket and I was going to go see her, but I always buy the insurance. <laughs> 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 always buy the insurance Bert. but uh, no this was not anywhere close to the same it was like yeah okay it's my own stupid stupidity for falling back into it again so do you consider yourself an, on on some level to be a romantic because that's kind of a romantic thought process in a way i'm sure some of the women i've dated probably don't think that but i've always been um yeah i mean i always had these romantic ideas i'm just at this point i'm 65 mm-hmm. i'm not gonna get married it's, no so that's gone that that that's gone but yeah that so, ship not only has sailed it's sunk and it's at the bottom of the ocean pretty much uh, <laughs> but i but don't mind um hooking up with somebody with a deep commitment that'd be great but we'll see is that how you put it on the on the web i'd like to hook up with somebody with a deep commitment is that is that well how many, hits, left. how many not, hits do you get may, on that maybe not so deep <laughs> So you're saying now that you, there's there's no room in your life for love, or you just just don't think oh, it could happen? No, there absolutely is. It just, but I don't see any point in getting married at this age, unless I mean I'm not going to have kids. It's not impossible, but not likely. I've known you for a, a few years now, and I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the to the jobs because I want to know. I want to kind of uh, go down the path that came to the realization or the decision that was law school, uh, campgrounds. Then you said, uh, you started, you said you had a knack for selling. What what else did you sell? When I moved back to Columbus, I, I was coming back from an interview going around 270 on the East side. And I had an MG midget and great little car. My car conks out at Morse road and 270. So I walked a quarter mile or so under the, Highway to Jim Klein, BMW. And I walked in and said, I want a job. They said, you have any experience selling cars? I said, absolutely not. And he goes, well, I don't want a guy with no experience. I said, he goes, take it here, take this car, go down to this Dodge dealership on Morse Road, work for him for a little while, then come back and see me. I came back and said, you know what, I don't want to work there. I want to work for you. And he thought I had balls, so he hired me. And I was, I was terrible for the first couple of months, but after a couple of months, I knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park. So Not now sale. you're a successful car salesman. Yeah. You successfully have sold campgrounds. Now you're successfully selling cars, but that doesn't stick. No. You move on. I sold pot. I did, did. it on the side. Just a side venture. Well, it was sometimes lucrative, but it was, mm-hmm. it was all, I had a job. I had some friends that were sold lots of pot. They were going out to Nebraska where hemp was growing back in World War II for rope, to make rope. They were going out and picking wild pot. Then I followed them, but I had a picture that I gave to somebody else where I was standing in maybe 12 feet tall marijuana plants. And I was picking them, leaves and buds, and selling them to these guys that were selling them to the big dealers. But it was I made a little money on the side. And I did that while I was working for ITT. I t- oh, so you oh now you're selling telephone equipment. Yeah, did I okay. get to, I didn't yeah. get to that yet. No, no, you didn't oh, mention the telephone. Well, so you, you quit selling cars. Now you're selling telephone. I, equipment. Yeah, I moved on to uh, sell telephone equipment for ITT for several years, and I did the pot thing for two years, mm-hmm. where I'd go out for you know in the fall. What made you stop doing the pot thing? I just I wanted to start getting away from illegal stuff, which I didn't really do. But um, did you ever get in? Was there any uh, situations? 
that uh, that might have been that might have been saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah, first time I went. This is to Nebraska. Nebraska. I went with my younger brother and one of his friends, and we were picking. We found a little place in kind of a valley that you could go during the day, and nobody could see you. So we're picking this pot along a creek bed, or I shouldn't even call it pot, but it's hemp. And we were picking it along creek bed. <laughs> call it whatever <laughs> makes you feel better. <laughs> so we're uh, we're leaving. We have big, giant plastic baggies full. And we're, we're coming out of the valley, and we get to a little grove of trees. As I get to the fence line, I see the little glint of a reflection off a car window. I dive in right along the fence line. I couldn't yell to my brother and his friend because they're back behind me, but they came out of the grove of trees. We're like, holy shit. And, and, and the, <laughs> the farmer, whoever was on the, the road, with, was like, they sprung to action. The ditches out in Nebraska are like deep. They're like 10, 12 feet deep. So I, I roll into the bottom of a ditch, and I run down along it. as away. You, you still got your bags? You still hold well, on to your bags? Oh, yes. All right, just checking. <laughs> so I'm running, and I, I have my bags with me, and I get to the end of the ditch and stop and leave the bags there, and I, I wait so I could hear the car going back and forth. What'd they do? Well, they, I don't know where my brother and his friend went. Never, still don't know to this day, but they, they, when this, the car cranked up, they knew that they were in trouble, so they hid. I ran down the ditch, moved on down towards the car, went to the local county seat, and hired a lawyer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to be in trouble. Well, I, I thought they would be. I was, I was, I was free. <laughs> yeah. So I hired a lawyer, and then it turns out that they, uh, they just hung in the woods forever. And finally, about one o'clock in the morning, I kept, I went. Back and forth, looking for them, and they showed their face. The, a year or two later, um, I went back and you went back to Nebraska. Nebraska, okay. a little different area, and my friends and I were picking pot mostly at night, and we had these dark green overalls, so we wouldn't be standing out. And we were picking pot. Just we would take these pillowcases run a uh, spray them, spray pay them to harden them a bit and then run uh, hangers or something like that through them to make a loop and we would pick pot and you know run up the stalks and put it in these pillowcases and we did that for several nights and I guess nobody was satisfied that when we were ready to leave so we had one last day and it was oh one... it's always one last day mm-hmm. <laughs> we went out during the daylight and we wore the same suits and we were out in a field that was a few hundred yards off the road. But the as the sun was setting, it put a golden hue on everything, especially late in the fall. You could picture like a gold, you know, the corn after it's turned. Sounds so, lovely. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the same for the pot. And so we're sitting there in this blonde landscape, and we're wearing these dark green suits and we I, we didn't realize that we stood out like thumb next thing we see this ford pickup pull along the road and we're like oh what's, that can't be good and next thing we're hearing shots uh-oh i don't think they could i don't know they if we had they had the range but 
Well, they're we, firing at you or they're they just warning the, shots? Well, I, we don't know, but they were firing. That's all we cared about. So we ran the opposite direction, ran a mile or so and just laid in the weeds. And then, uh, unfortunately, somebody had to go back to get the car. Mm-hmm. And we drew straws, and I drew the short, short straw. straw. You feel like you've been drawing a short straw a, a large part of your life? Um, no, no, mainly I, I think I'm pretty freaking lucky. Yeah. But, but that was one bad moment. I was scared as shit. And, so shortly and, after that, did you decide that maybe this is not yes. for you? Then I went back to work, and I uh, became a bookie. <laughs> Okay, that's because we all, for those of you who don't know, that is the natural progression is to go from selling pot to becoming a bookie. For those of you who are looking at no, how, no, you, how well. you progress. I liked it. It was fun until I got to a point where I did it for a couple of years and then all of a sudden even my friends or people I consider friends stiffed me. Mm-hmm. One friend in particular, very good friend, one of the first guys I worked with when I started selling cars, uh, how much did he stiff you for? Thousand. Yeah. He said, Well, you know what? I middled this bet, and the other bookie didn't pay me. And I should have said, Well, I don't give a goddamn. Right. But um, he's, you know, if you don't know what middling, I know you do. I do. But, but explain but it to the people. Middling means um, if there's a difference in the point spread, and you can bet with one bookie for uh, a point or two different right. and another bookie for a point or two different. And it falls in the middle. The only thing you're uh, risking is the 10% VIG right. for the one guy that you Explain lost. Explain the VIG. VIG is 10% that you pay when you lose. Mm-hmm. And so you'd only risk the 10% for the losing side. And uh, so he calls me and says, and I don't know why I didn't, I, I wasn't. Because you don't have the heart and soul of a hardcore bookie. Well, yeah, and that's why I got out of it. Because um, it, it happened. I, I stayed in for another year. But then all of a sudden, it was like, you know, these people are stiffing me right and left. Well, and don't I'm, you think that word got out that so-and-so stiffed you for $1,000 and Bert's maybe, easy to stiff? Maybe, you don't but, have to pay Bert if you lose, not, at least not right away? Probably, but also people know me. I'm not that mean of a guy. And so my choice was... Hire somebody to be a bone breaker uh-huh. and collect, which makes me, my mind, a gangster. Right. Or quit. And that's what I did. So you quit? Yes. You didn't want to go the gangster no, I still, life? I still kind of miss it, though. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> you know, it's it's the action. We love, we love the action. Did you ever take a big hit, yes. loss, payout? Yes. Like I can. weeks where, like, you know, I'm in the red. Well- Couple of years, I got killed when I was doing it myself. What what the what game killed you the most? Can there was, you recall? There, I don't remember the year, but it was seventy eight or so. Was it football? It, it was football. I got killed in the bowl games and on in through through the NFL. I had a pretty good year. I mean, I don't mean good like hundreds of thousands. I maybe forty. Okay. And, and I lost thirty or more in the bowl games and. Uh, NFL playoffs. Just wiped it wiped it all wiped out. Wiped it all off. Then. That's got to suck. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, it was bad because, you know, like any young guy, you spend that money. You're sure. Um, and you're probably thinking, how how many games cannot go my way? It was bad. Because <laughs> we all know that, you know, like, well, in Vegas, whenever they, they're so good at, I mean, not that Vegas doesn't take a hit from time to time, but the majority of the time, 
that line is so meticulously selected and picked, they know exactly, you know, how it's going to go. And right. I'm sure as a bookie back then, you've probably felt the same way that, that you know, I'm, well, on, the, I'm on the safer side of this that's because right. there's no locks. Well, that's the intention. If, if, you, if you can equal out the bets each way, you make 10%. Right. That never happened. The last year I did this, I was partnering with some people in Cleveland. And we did everything 50-50. Or everything, everything I brought in was 50-50. But you still don't consider yourself to be a gangster at that point. You're partnering with other people right. in bookmaking. But, I, yeah. but you don't consider yourself to be a gangster. Wait, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to, well, to get a picture. You know, everybody has a favorable way of looking at themselves, <laughs> whether it's realistic or not. But, All right, so you partner up so, with some people well, in Cleveland. These other guys were... Um, Backing me 50-50. And I had this one person that bet with me that was um, hugely successful, wealthy guy. And he was down um, eight grand. Eight grand. Eight grand. He's in eight grand. He's yes. into you for eight grand. Going into the – and I was – and I – And his I credit is good as far as, as, well, as, far as you're concerned because well, he's wealthy. It, 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 it is. He was good for it. But um, he didn't want to pay the eight grand. He had to lay, lay it all on the line. And I didn't – I had no authority to take the bet. We went down to the Miami Dolphins Cleveland Browns game, and he bet the whole eight thousand. I was pretty reluctant to take it, but they were we were I was wine and dine entertained, and um, I was with a bunch of other friends, and they're like they're all pushing me like, "Come on, be a, be go a for sport, it. go for it, yeah, be so, a sport." Yes, of course they had no they had no you know no money in the game but yeah and so they I don't know that you have to so, answer to people in cleveland yeah so i took the eight thousand dollar bet oh man and lost yeah so i had to pay half to the guys in cleveland mm-hmm. and i did and yeah that's that so that's my, big, the that's my biggest bet ever all right so relatively successful selling pot but definitely not a career move <laughs> bookie not bad Made some money, lost some money, learned some lessons. Let's uh, flash ahead to the uh, to the epiphany. Law school. This was a epiphany moment. It was uh, my 37th birthday. My parents come down from Cleveland. I'm born on St. Patty's Day. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. <laughs> but but they, they came down um, on and off for many years and usually brought me food. And sometimes we had some big parties. Um. This particular year, I was alone, so I was taking a little stock in my life. What were you doing at that time? What was it? What was the job? I don't know. If, I don't even know if I had one. Okay. I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but my parents came down and they bring me a beautiful spread of food. And um, that particular day, it was just three of us, and I announced to them that I was taking a little stock in my life, and I thought about, especially. For, from my upbringing, Shaker Heights, like I never grew up to be a gangster. I didn't want to be a bookie. I didn't want to be a drug dealer, even though I thought it was fun as shit. You um, certainly, you certainly <laughs> role played for a little bit. <laughs> yes, I did. But then I really said, look, what, what, what am I, what am I to do going forward? And I thought about it. And it, some of the people I know, that are I mean, I was friends with Senator Metzenbaum's children, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of other successful people, not to name drop, but. Um, I said, you know, this isn't what I went to school for. And I told my parents, I'm going to go to law school. And? Um, they said, well, that's wonderful, Bert. And then he told me later, after I got accepted, 
that they laughed the whole way home. <laughs> <laughs> no. They were they saying there's no freaking way he's going to be doing this. And I, and they told me this a year or two later. Um, but once I did, they were so proud. You enjoying the Glenn Levitt 18? It's excellent. It is excellent. It's a big, because we do try to educate on whiskey business about what we're drinking. And I got so caught up in your, in your saga that, uh, it is, it's a big scotch whiskey. It's full. It's rich. It's, it's not real smoke. It's got a little wisp of smoke, but it's not as smoky as some other single malts. And, uh, you know, you know, I drink doers. I try to drink the lighter end of the, right. But I'm not that I don't enjoy a, a fuller scotch. It's in fact, some of the ones that with more peat or oak are closer to what you like the, the bourbon, but yeah, but this is excellent. This is good, and the finish is nice. It's long, it's it's dry, and it's got a little little spiciness to it before it's all said and done. Uh, for those of you, the Glen Levitt 18 is a good celebratory whiskey. It's not cheap. It it goes for anywhere depending on where you get it between 65 and 98 dollars a bottle. So drink every drop, Bert. <laughs> leave not no not of this particular <laughs> bottle i meant what's in your glass don't i was gonna don't, say i don't think you have to worry about that <laughs> don't leave any behind okay so you're 38 years old are you the oldest one in, in your uh in yes. your class oh, um no there no were, i was there were two other people my same age and one guy much older i was a fish out of water i was at a school where there was three to one women to guys uh-huh well, and it was a rural school in Ada, Ada, Ohio, Ohio Northern. So I said, what am I going to do to make my mark? So I started a party, a hayride. And I had some friends that grew up in uh, Ada. So they introduced me to a friend of theirs who was a farmer. And we had a big picnic hayride bonfire kind of thing at his farm. And, okay. We're still in law school here. Yeah. Okay. Still in law. All right. Then the second year became a really big party. I just, it was fun. It was my only, you know, it was my only way to connect. I was 15 years I, older than most of my. I, I guess when you told me I, I wanted to make my mark, I, I, I thought you were going to tell me that you were proficient in some aspect of your studies or you, you were top of your class at, at the time, but you, you wanted to make your mark socially? Yes. That's exactly it. It's like. Uh, my I think I my motto when I went to law school was 2.0 and go. <laughs> so that was a big moment when you graduated, yes? Big time. Big time. And did you pass the bar on your first go around? Um surprisingly, yes. Oh, well, if, congratulations. If, and if I had been taking book when <laughs> when I would I would have I would have won enough money to not have to practice for the first year or two. <laughs> Cuz everybody you yeah. everybody would have taken oh. Yeah, one old friend said, Bert, if you pass the bar, I will throw a big-ass party for you. Did he? No. No. Like I said, everybody stiffed me. Everybody (laughs) stiffed you, no matter what. Wow. So you passed the bar on your first time, and now, so what? How old are you now when you graduate from law school? You got your degree? Um, 42. 42 years of age, and now you're a lawyer. Are you you looking to— I got a briefcase and everything. Yeah. And are you you being courted by any firms? Do you— Work for a, no. a firm? You just hang up the shingle? At my age, no, absolutely not. Um, it, uh, what do you mean at your age? Well, I mean, I'm, there's, I'm, there, see, and that's... and that's. that's are you talking about back then or now? I'm talking about back then. I mean, you're 42 years of age, you know, which... No, 
The answer is no. Uh, but I will say this. I went to this this woman I knew, got me an interview with her friend who was an attorney and, and a great guy. I, I like him to this day. But he had a partner. And I went in and um, they said, well, what, you know, he, he was very, it was like one of those good guy, bad guy interviews. He said, well, what do you, why are you here? What do you do? Why, why don't you hang out your own shingle? I said, well, I don't know the law. I don't have anybody teaching me what to do. Um, and he was like, he didn't want me. It was clear. It was, why don't you hang, hang out your own shingle? So I didn't get a job, and eventually I did hang out my own shingle. And the first month, I had my own office. My friend Brett, Brett LaMotta, I'm going to mention his name. <laughs> That's Thank one you. name you can mention. He uh, turned me on to somebody who had a child that got burned in a fire. And this was the first month I had my own office. I settled that case for 500000 a year later. Wow. One well, of your first cases out of the gate, for the uh, most part. Yeah, first big cases yeah. is, is a huge case, and you well, make I, you make you make bank. I paid more in taxes in 98 than I did the year or two before and the year or two after. Uh, more, more than I made. I remember seeing this guy in the uh, bank on Henderson Road, and I purposely butchered his name. I won't say what it is because I won't. But, okay. Um, if it was Sam, I called him Smith. It doesn't matter. But I said, hey, I want to thank you so much for turning me away because six months after I left you, I got a case for $4.1 million. And, you know, you were right. I should have hung out my own shingle right from the get-go. And just I, it was that was a fun moment in my life. Watching. Uh, those, are the one, those are the moments in life that uh, you, you treasure and hope for oh, that yeah. you get the – and then you get to walk away. Hey, thanks a lot, by the way, for your advice. I want to – Half a million. So Half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. You get to walk away and just leave the guy speechless. Those are beautiful moments. You're in your 60s now. You've been practicing yes, law. Yes, sorry to say, but I just, right. I'm, I'm officially a senior citizen. I just got my on Medicare last month. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I believe I <laughs> Congratulations. Are you surprised that it's still around? <laughs> uh, well, I'm not so sure about the next couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. But uh, you're, you're uh I know you. I've known you for a few years now. You're 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 youthful. How old? 60? 65. 65. You're youthful 65. You hang as good as anybody. In fact, in some cases better. Well, coming and, from you, that's a compliment. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're sturdy, my friend. Can I inter- interject one, you know? You can interject anything you want, buddy. You and I go Christmas dropping, yes. as you know. And that's for people that aren't don't wear it's it's shopping and drinking drinking and shopping and um we're in a car uh, <laughs> uh, so we're uh we get pulled over and the police officer says um you guys been drinking he said well let me let me call my lawyer <laughs> so dino calls from the front seat and it, my phone starts ringing in the back <laughs> And the officer starts laughing. He goes, all right, go ahead, guys. Go ahead, go, go. Let me call my, yes. Uh, it's always good to travel with an attorney whenever possible. <laughs> Let me ask, we've, we've pulled that, we've pulled, and since then we've pulled that that uh, that stunt quite a few times. I don't know, that's a good question. Let me ask my attorney. <laughs> and he's right there. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> you travel with an attorney? Yes, I do. Do you have a specialty now, do you think, as far as... What you do? Because um, we've said, we've told you that 
one of the, one of your birthdays, we wanted to get you a billboard because you do personal injury cases too, right? I, a little. I, I I've had success with that, but it's not my bread and butter. Yes. Um. So, what would you say your specialty is now at this point in your I life? I do mostly divorce and custody and criminal. And I and when I say criminal, I do almost anything. But I have never done a, a capital murder. I have never done a murder, capital crime. I have some serious felonies. Um, but I mostly I do DUI, domestic violence, traffic, drug charges, and I do a lot of divorce and custody. Mm-hmm. Those are, I would say those areas make up 80% of my practice. And you stay busy. Busy enough. But, busy enough but, for a guy that just has, just hung up the shingle. Well, I got to the point where I wanted to bring in some associates and build a bigger practice. And then I met you guys. <laughs> <laughs> And then now I want to golf on Wednesday or in the winter we play, we play cards golf. at your house. So so we destroyed your your dream no, of having I, no, the actually you Bert, made, Bert de Benedetto uh, law firm. Actually, you made it more realistic. I'm thir- I'm 65. I don't. I'm pretty comfortable. Um, what are you looking for still in life? Then at 65, if you don't mind me asking. Well, I'd like to make a stable income for an, another at least five years mm-hmm. um, with the. Uh, prov- Still, schedule that we go, we golf on Wednesdays in the summer and play cards at your house. Of course, in the, on Wednesdays in so the winter, some things have to stay put. Um, but I, I, I still holding out that maybe I make might meet some woman that I'd like to be with. Um, so other, we come full circle. So even from from that young age in high school where you weren't the greatest of scholars because you were you were uh, chasing women. Through college, in your thirties, your true love win lose, and now at sixty five, you still come full circle. So it, sort of. I mean, there was there were there was romantic. There was another woman in between, but that's not. That, what there's we're probably about. A, uh, quite a few well, women in between one, over one, the course was, of the years. One was spectacular, but um, but it, that was in between, and it, it's done now, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I'm saying, but but, but it's interesting that when I ask you about what are you still looking for in life, that that still pops up. Well, my biggest regret, I look at my dad who's 91. God bless. Yes. And my mom's 85 in April. Um, but they have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And they have something to live for. I, I see my dad when he's with our, his great-grandson, uh-huh. Preston, by the, by the way. And um, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to diverge a little bit. But I went home in, uh, to Cleveland in spring, and I went home and I had a case. And I, I visited my mom at lunch, and she goes, you want to see your dad and Preston? They're sleeping. I go, no, they're sleeping. What's the point? And I walked in without my cell phone, and my dad was laying on his bed, and my uh, great nephew was laying in his crib about two feet apart, and they're both laying there smiling at each other. And That's I wish to God that was one of those you know, moments I – yeah, you know, I re- truly regret not ha- taking a picture because it's precious. Um, and I, you know, and I—that's something I'm going to miss going on in life. But, um, but I love seeing that with them. And and so I, my big fears, we'll all be sitting there when we're eighty, and like, which one of us is going to go go next? <laughs> <laughs> it's not—it's funny, but it isn't. It's, but you know, other outside my family, my friends like you and. Jamie and Jim and some of the others are uh, my family. 
So, yeah. So uh, we'll deal with that as we, things come. We are uh, our own La Familia, if you will, in a in a sense of the term, without a doubt. Yeah, the friendships run deep, and I think that's that's well, that's that's as important as anything in life. So, um, you know, five more years, seventy. The ideal scenario for your golden years when it's all said and done. Well, I, I thought about this. Just you know, like, like I said, you mentioned you know, well, it'd be nice to find somebody. Well, that would be nice. And I also, we can play cards. I can golf two two days a week in in, in semi retirement. You, you, you realize that uh, you're sixty five. I'll be fifty eight. You know, I'm still a little bit younger. You should, I still have to work. I, I I don't have the. I might not have the luxury of. Well, you could retire if you quit making producing movies. Uh, well, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I mean, uh, I'm in the type of job. I, mean, I don't want to. I I, I I always thought being re, if I was super wealthy, being retired would be great. But no, it's I, I'd be bored to shit. So um, I think it's the uh, on some level for me anyway. It's, uh, I think it's uh, complete and total retirement. I, I think would be the you know the kiss yeah. of death. Yeah, I, even though my dad's ninety-one, I saw his personality change when he retired, and it was late seventies. Um, but I mean, still ninety-one, you can't you can't beat that. But no, uh, but he was more dynamic and more youthful, or more energetic. He he was great, better than I ever would be. I've told you this before. We're gonna close on this. Um, I think you are a movie. At least your character is a movie. I think you're a John Grisham novel. Scratch that. I think you're a Dino Tripodis novel <laughs> waiting to happen. John Grisham has had enough success. You know, he's, he, you know, he can crap out a bestseller every six months. I think, I think you're ripe for a fictional character based on and of course, I would exaggerate some of the details. Yeah, you got to bit. make it interesting. I would take some of your uh, uh, involvement in in bookmaking and pot dealing and some of these other uh, positions in life that you've had and relationships, and I would probably expand on them creatively in order to create the character that I have envisioned in my head. But, yeah, but uh, let's hope they're not too close in uh, real life. And I see J.K. Simmons playing you. That handsome fucker. Yeah, him, him. I see J. Do you see him, Hansberry? Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, see that. J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons. Yep, playing the the, uh, the Actually, guy. Actually, I want to play J.K. Simmons' role <laughs> when they make a movie about him. I see, I see like a, a Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul kind Better of Better Call Saul vein. type of character, yeah, right? Uh-huh, the guy yeah. that get the guy that gets out of you know maybe we maybe we age you up just a little bit more for dramatic purposes out of law school, like in your late forties, you know. As opposed to late thirties, we can do that. Let's stop talking about it because Some if anybody hears it, they're license. gonna they're gonna take it. So, are, does this is this all copywritten material as far yeah. as our podcast? It is goes? now. It is protected. Yeah, so it's mine, mine. <laughs> goddammit. it, <laughs> all mine. And uh, um, I, I I just think you're uh, you're an interesting guy. I think you you kind of inspired the title of tonight's podcast. Uh, never too late, n- never too old. You decided at, at a time in life when a lot of people have accepted the straw that they have picked, that that's going to be their lot in life, good, bad, or indifferent, they, there's, a, there's, there's acceptance. 
and resolve and they go, this is what this is what I'm going to be doing. And I'm just going to tough it out. Good, bad or indifferent. You chose not to. And I think there's a lesson there. I think it's an inspiring lesson. Um, You know, I got into radio at 34 years of age, never thinking in a million years that I would be in radio. And I've been relatively successful at it. Much to the surprise of a lot of people for the last uh, 23, 24 years. So, yeah, I mean, and yet, and yet we both have thoughts and ideas about not being done. Is there one thing you still want to do before they put you in the ground and call it a life? Is there still one more chapter left in the Bert Benedetto story? I definitely want to do something else. I don't know what it is. I don't have... If I had to find another vocation, it would be a chef. I would love to, to but not not actually not to work as a, a chef, but to to learn and go to a culinary school. A chef. I mean, you want to create something magnificent from a from a culinary perspective at sixty five years of age. The fact that you still have motivation, the fact that you still have dreams, the fact that we don't give up, I think is the message here, right? Well, I'm I'm thinking if I do. I'm not going to start a new vocation. So I'm thinking if I do semi-retire. Maybe that, vocation was the wrong word. But no, but that's that's probably something I will do. I think I would, in addition to working part-time as an attorney, I think doing a culinary school class or something like that would is, would fulfill my time a lot, and I'm looking forward to it. As long as it doesn't cut into our time, Bert. Oh, yes. Well, you know, it can't be on Wednesdays. <laughs> can't be on Wednesdays. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's pour a little bit more of the Glenn Levitt 18. You're drinking an international wine and spirit competition double award winner there, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, it's good stuff. I got you, Mr. Hansberry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There you go. Thank and, you. Uh, um. So here, here's to you, my friend. Here's to here's to an interesting life. Here's to a, a a fun life, and here is just to life. Thank you. Chindan, salute. And of course, before we go, I would be uh, remiss after you in, indulged me with your life if we didn't actually we broadcast from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but uh, so anybody that's listening in Columbus and needs to retain the services of the lone wolf, Bert <laughs> De Benedetto, how would they get in touch with you? Well, first of all, I didn't take this gig. Or, and that's not even the word, right word, but I didn't uh, accept this interview. No, um, I realize that, but still. But for the purposes of uh, promoting myself, but, you know, I am here. So uh, I do mostly divorce, custody juvenile and a little criminal and of course wills and stuff but the point is if you need a, you need a lawyer call me first and, and even if i can't do it i will point you to somebody else who can so give me a call 614-457-1911 mm-hmm. there you go call him let me say this as we wrap things whoops as we wrap things up <laughs> whiskey business is a never the luck production recorded in cooperation with the Columbus Radio Group all the opinions are those of your host and his uh, reluctant guests and are never meant to offend only to educate and entertain so keep that in mind thank you so much for listening thank you Greg Hansberry for producing and until the next bottle See ya.
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.